Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Monday, September 18th. I'm Christine Hargis, filling in for Gabby LaPera on this week's financial show. Motley Fool personal finance expert Dan Kaplinger is joining me via Skype. Dan, how's it going? I'm good, Christine. How are you doing tonight? I am doing great. I am preparing to leave for Greece in a couple of days, and I'm super excited. Oh, that is awesome. I tell you, it's much, much better to be on the about to leave side of a vacation than the just got back from vacation, which is kind of where I still am a couple of weeks after uh, coming back from Europe. So Yikes, um, I hope you have a good weeks. trip. You're still digging out? Just a little bit. Yeah, just about there, though. Well, I know I'll have that to look forward to in a couple of weeks myself. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, before I leave, today's show is going to walk our listeners through the insurance industry, how it works, some interesting quirks about it, and some practical advice so that you all can make the best decisions when it comes to your own insurance. Dan, do you want to kick us off with a high-level overview of the industry? Yeah. So basically, the way that the insurance industry works is that people face different kinds of risks. Most of the time, a lot of the risks that you face are things that don't happen that often, but if they do, there's a really big consequence. Something like, if there's a hurricane, then my house might be destroyed. Or if I get in a car accident, then my car might be totaled. These are things that you expect to happen every day, but when they do, it's a big deal, and you usually need some big financial help in order to recover from them. And that's where the insurance industry comes in. An insurer will offer you a policy that will protect you in the event of some of these major catastrophes from happening. Ideally, they get together a large group of people who are in similar situation to you. The idea being that hopefully, if an insurance company does a good job, they have a bunch of different people who face different risks at different times, and so they can pool together the premiums that they collect, pay out any losses that they have to pay, because those events are going to happen to select set of individuals, and then still have some money left over for profits to reward their shareholders. Exactly. And it makes sense from a consumer perspective why people will buy into this kind of policy, because as you mentioned, the events that they're covering are often pretty catastrophic. So even if you know that you're really probably not going to face a certain situation, if you did, on the off chance, that would be really terrible. And so most people are very happy to pay in a little bit month in and month out to protect themselves in case of a fairly extreme situation. That's right. So, one of the biggest insurance markets out there, and of course, I'm bringing this up because I normally host the healthcare show, but the health insurance industry is enormous. And it's also a little bit different than a lot of the other insurance industries, because a lot of its costs are fairly predictable. You go to the doctor for an annual checkup. You have drugs that you take every single day. Um, but there are also some very large, unpredictable costs. That's right. I mean, there's different kinds of, like you point out, there's different kinds of problems that can come up with health. And the, the interesting thing about the health insurance industry in the US is it has really evolved to be sort of more than what your traditional insurance policy would cover. Like you say, you can carve out some pretty low probability but high consequence events in healthcare. Um, suffering a major illness, getting injured, those kinds of things, they match up well with what I was just describing about the insurance industry generally. They don't happen that often, but when they do, it's a really big deal and you need help covering the financial consequences. But 
somewhere along the way, health insurance evolved to cover not just those low probability, high problematic events, but also sort of the everyday things. And so everything from going to see your doctor for an annual physical to buying a single set of prescription drugs that you might need once and never need again, all those things are things that health insurance has evolved to cover. And that has made the industry a little bit different from what you have with other players in the insurance industry. And it, it causes some issues to come up. It definitely does. And one of the things that's interesting to me about health insurance is that the same psychology is at play here, where you want to protect yourself in case of something really catastrophic. But health insurance works best if everybody is in the same the same plan, the same pool of patients, or at least it's a very, very large pool of patients, so that you can spread out the people who are really, really expensive to treat because they either have a very expensive chronic condition or they do have something one time and catastrophic happen. And so the best way to do this is to to make as large of a pool as possible. And so they're able to convince people that you, you need to get on this and people will do it because they don't want to end up footing the bill for something that could be really, really bad. Now, of course, you saw with the Obamacare exchanges, uh, it was actually very difficult to get people to sign up for insurance who felt like they might be sort of invincible. A lot of these people are younger, they're healthy. They looked at the price of the Obamacare plans and they said, no, that's not for me. I would rather pay the penalty for not being a part of the system than be a part of it and, and feel like I'm wasting my money because I'm not going to get sick. And so with that, you, you saw a lot of insurers not be able to make the money that they thought that they would be able to because they weren't getting as large patient pools as they could. That's right. And you know, one of the problems was, you know, a lot some of the criticism of the Affordable Care Act was the idea that it did take away some of the options that people had as far as health insurance coverage was concerned. It generally kind of pushed people towards more inclusive types of coverage. It made it harder for those who were looking for sort of the catastrophic, um, you know, last ditch effort types of insurance policies where you would be responsible for almost all of your ordinary costs and the insurance policy would only cover things like the most expensive hospital bills after a really huge deductible. Those plans became more out of favor and what replaced them instead were more comprehensive policies that covered more things, but were also correspondingly more expensive from a monthly premium standpoint. And that mix, like you say, it appeals very well to people who do have high healthcare costs, but for those who are relatively healthy, including a lot of younger people, that, you know, paying for that kind of coverage that they felt they didn't need, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, many of them don't need, um, that was a tough sell, and it was a problem getting people involved in the exchanges. Yep. Let's talk about people that are on the other end of that spectrum that might be looking to get insurance against things that the average plan doesn't cover. This is an industry that's called supplemental insurance, and one of the big names in supplemental insurance is Aflac. So companies like Aflac will fill in the gaps where normal insurance might not have you covered. You can buy a specific supplemental plan to cover certain costs. For example, Aflac sells plans that'll cover 
some different uh, things that aren't included in an employer-sponsored health plan. So this could be something like dental or vision, or it could even be indirect costs of an illness or, or an injury, stuff like loss of work income if you have to take time off of work. And it could even be things like travel costs to get to a specialist or hotel lodging while you're there. Like maybe you had to go to a very specific surgery center and it's very far from where you live. So you can buy extra insurance to cover you in that sort of situation too. Yeah, health insurance, most traditional health insurance only covers the direct costs of your health care, what you have to pay the doctor, what you pay the hospital, um, the cost of your prescription drugs. And so that's left open this sort of niche industry for Aflac and other players to say, look, when you suffer a medical loss, it's not just about the costs that you have to pay to your health professionals. It's also about loss of income and the incidental expenses that those health insurance policies don't cover. Um, and they've had great success kind of merging and working with employers who offer group health plans to say, hey, look, what you're offering is great, but we at Aflac can give your employees something extra. And a lot of the time, many of those workers do go ahead and get supplemental insurance policies as a result. This has been a pretty profitable company. It's publicly traded. It's about a, a 30 or so billion dollar market cap company. And it actually, so it's very well known within the US, mostly because of the duck commercials that I'm sure everybody is familiar with. But they also they generate most of their revenue in Japan, which is kind of interesting. Currently, about 25% of Japanese households have AFLAC insurance of some sort. Um, and so, if you're interested in the company, check it out for its dividend. It's a dividend aristocrat, been paying uh, about 2% uh, recently, and it's been increasing its dividend for 34 straight years, which is a pretty fantastic track record. Speaks to it being a, a very calculating industry where you know exactly how much money you're going to make. And, and they've been able to do a very good job of managing their risks and also finding new avenues for growth. Uh, so, one thing I do want to talk about, since we're talking about very specific supplemental insurances, is to warn listeners not to buy insurance that they might not really need. I've seen a lot of kind of crazy policies out there, and I think it's it can be very easy to get caught up in fear of, oh my gosh, what if this very, very low probability thing happens to me? And uh, so Some of these things are just not worth it when you actually do the the cost benefit analysis like for example extended warranties there are so many studies out there showing that they almost never pay off um, another one to watch out for is rental car insurance. I did not know this until I was in Canada recently trying to rent a car, and they asked me if I wanted to buy the supplemental rental insurance. And I, I turned to my friend that was traveling with me, and I was like, yeah, probably, right? And he's like, absolutely not. He's like, you have car insurance, right? I'm like, yeah. And apparently, my normal car insurance will cover me for a rental car, too, which is interesting. And I felt a little bit betrayed by the company that was offering me to buy this insurance that I didn't really need. Another thing, Christine, to take a look at is a lot of credit cards now offer things like that rental car insurance, like extended warranties, even, even more valuable insurance like um, if something happens to a product that's not generally covered by a warranty, like you know if you drop your phone or if something gets stolen or you lose something. Some credit cards actually offer a type of coverage, and while there might be a deductible that won't give you a full recovery on that, you still can get some of your money back. And it's something that a lot of people don't know, so be sure to check with your credit card company and see what kinds of extra insurance is included 
with your card. You don't have to pay anything extra for it in most cases, and it can be a real saver if something happens that uh, you suffer a loss. Yep, that is great advice. All right, let's pivot once again and talk a little bit about Medicare. So, going back to the world of healthcare, Medicare is extremely important, mostly for retirees. Once you turn 65, you are eligible for health insurance that you've been paying into for your whole working life, and all of a sudden, you can be the beneficiary of it. That's right. Most people, when uh, as long as you have worked long enough at a job in which you paid for uh, Medicare payroll taxes, you will automatically be eligible to join Medicare at age 65. Um, at that point, you'll be uh, you will receive a number of valuable benefits, uh, including coverage for uh, hospital in, uh, for hospital expenses. Uh, you'll also be able to uh, join Medicare to pay uh, regular medical expenses like doctor's visits and other outpatient care. Um, that second part, which is called Part B, as opposed to the hospital Part A, Part B comes with a monthly premium, uh, but the amount that you pay is quite very reasonable compared to what a private insurance company would charge you immediately prior to becoming eligible for Medicare. And so it's something that most seniors really look forward to being able to join Medicare uh, because it is a real lifesaver as far as your health care costs are concerned. Yeah, especially when you reach the point in your life where you're likely to have higher health care bills. It's kind of interesting because you, you, as a worker, you pay into this for a long time, usually 10 plus years, but you still have to pay for it when you, it comes time to be eligible. But as you mentioned, it's fairly inexpensive. Monthly premiums are around $100. It can be more if you make more as an annual salary. But that actually is a great price, but it doesn't cover everything. Typically, you will have a 20% coinsurance, meaning that 80% of the costs are covered, but you still end up having to pay. And one really important thing to know about Medicare is that there's not written into it a maximum amount that you'll pay out of pocket. That's right. Um, there are a number of provisions, the 80-20 that you just mentioned for doctor's visits and other outpatient coverage um, is one of them. On the other side of the equation, hospital stays. Um, Medicare has uh, deductible amounts depending on the length of time that you stay. Uh, but for extremely long hospital stays, uh, Medicare coverage does end. And at that point, you are potentially on the hook for the entire cost of your hospital stay and that uh, beyond that initial time period. And that can make it really smart to look at some of the supplemental insurance products that have come out in the private market to kind of add on to Medicare and to provide protection from those catastrophic risks, including things like out-of-pocket uh, maximums. Yep, absolutely. One very popular way of dealing with all of the different issues that we've brought up regarding Medicare and the different uh, holes that you might fall into where you're not covered is to get something called Medicare Advantage, which is run through private insurers. This is a very popular choice, by the way. About a third of all Medicare beneficiaries are enrolled in Medicare Advantage. And it it's usually fairly comprehensive. It'll replace completely parts A, the hospital insurance, and part B, which is your doctor visits, your outpatient costs. Um, sometimes it even replaces part D to Medicare, which is the part D uh, is the prescription drug plan. 
and it might even cover so there's a lot of variability in what you can get with a Medicare Advantage plan but it might cover things like vision and hearing and dental so depending on how much you're willing to pay for it you can get extremely comprehensive coverage that's right because they're offered by private insurance companies um, there's a required list of healthcare expenses that these Medicare Advantage plans have to cover in order for Medicare to accept them as Medicare Advantage plans, but it's up to the individual private insurance company to decide above and beyond that, do we want to offer additional services? Um, one of the reasons that uh, retirees really like Medicare Advantage, and as you say, it has become increasingly popular recently, is that because of the way that these private insurance companies kind of tailor their coverage, they're often able to offer that coverage at an extremely attractive price. Uh, the flip side is that it's also possible for private insurance companies to kind of offer you know, the same sorts of incentives that you'll see in group health care coverage for uh, working age people. So you will find Medicare Advantage plans where uh, there's a really big incentive for you to stay with in-network uh, health care providers. And if you don't, then the costs can be much higher. Uh, compare that to traditional Medicare, where you can go visit any doctor that you want, and as long as that uh, medical professional accepts Medicare, Which then they there's all no do. difference in the in the charges that they make. Yeah, pretty much every doctor will accept Medicare just because it is so huge. And especially if you're somebody that is a specialist that works with age-related diseases, there's no reason why you wouldn't accept Medicare. That's what most of your patients will be covered by. So, as, exactly. as an individual, when you're looking at making that transition, say you are, you're turning 65 in the next year or so, and you're starting to think about, do I want to be on Medicare? Should I enroll? There's two different scenarios that we should talk through. The first would be if you are still working at 65, and then after that, we'll talk about what if you want to retire before 65. But first, if you're still working at 65, what sorts of things should you consider when you are trying to decide whether or not to sign up for Medicare? If you're still working at 65 and you are covered by a group health plan at work, then the big question is going to be, is it okay just to stick with my group health plan or do I need to enroll for Medicare as well? Um, for most people, that depends on the size of their employer, because the size of your employer helps to define whether Medicare or your group health plan is going to be the primary payer. In general, for larger employers, the group health plan will remain the primary payer, and so it doesn't make as much sense to sign up for Medicare immediately. Uh, for smaller employers, Medicare can become the primary payer, and there it becomes more important to look at Medicare as a coverage option. It's something to talk to your human resources department about because different companies have different rules about whether they're gonna require workers who reach age 65 to get Medicare coverage or not. But one thing you don't have to worry about is that if you have group health plan coverage, ordinarily there, are, there can be penalties if you wait beyond age 65 to sign up for Medicare. But an exception to those rules is that if you have qualifying group health plan coverage, then you can wait and then sign up later when that group health plan is no longer available because you finally decide to retire. Then you can sign up at a special enrollment period, avoid the penalties, and still get your Medicare coverage. 
Yep, and this is pretty important because that penalty is an added percentage on top of the premiums, meaning that you are going to pay it for the rest of your life every single time you pay your premium. So it's not just a a one-time thing. So definitely something to look into whether or not you'll qualify for a special enrollment past the age of 65 if you continue working. Let's talk about the other situation, though, which is if you decide to retire before you become 65. Yeah, and this is a very common situation that comes up often unwillingly because if you lose your job before you reach 65, you'll find yourself in sort of a health insurance gap. There are several things that you can do. Probably the easiest one is if you're married and your spouse has access to a group health plan, then you may be able to get coverage as a spouse on a family plan there. Um, That can be fairly expensive depending on how your spouse's employer handles family plans but it at least gets you the coverage that you need. In addition, when you when you leave a job, you'll generally have eligibility for what's called COBRA, which is continuation insurance. That can buy you another 18 months in most cases. And so if you're looking at retiring when you're 63 or 64, COBRA coverage can be a good way to go forward. Um, the other thing that you can do is turn to the individual health plan market. And until the advent of the Affordable Care Act, That was a really difficult market to break into, especially for people in their 60s who were trying to bridge to Medicare. The premiums were often prohibitively expensive. Um, Obamacare's made that a little bit easier to get coverage, uh, but the price is, is, you know, we've seen some of the same challenges with respect to price. And so it's something that uh, you have to look at very carefully to make sure um, that you can get the healthcare coverage that you need in order to make it to age 65 when you can then sign up for Medicare and kind of have the system in place that most people are part of. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of these options are fairly expensive. And I think that sort of points to a overarching lesson when you're thinking about Medicare and your health care coverage in retirement, which is that it can be a very expensive line item in your budget. And so it is important as you're trying to figure out how much money you need to save for in order to retire comfortably to really take a hard look at your healthcare costs and don't assume that they're going to be the same as they are when you're, say, 30 years old once you're 65, 70, 75, because they, they will rise pretty substantially, um, even regardless of whether or not you choose Medicare or Medicare Advantage, whatever it is, there's there's really no way to avoid fairly expensive uh, healthcare costs in retirement. Sad fact of life about aging, Christine. Enjoy your youth while you have it. Absolutely. Yeah. And pocket the extra money because hopefully it will grow and depreciate and you can use it when you become older and need it. Got it. One last thing before we sign off. I found a couple of really insane types of insurance while I was doing research for this episode and I wanted to share them. Dan, I don't know if you've ever come across these before, but I hadn't. And so they, I got, I got a kick out of them. So uh, there's a company called Lloyd's of London that offers some really crazy types of insurance. And so some of the ones that I found, I'm not sure if these are all offered by Lloyd's, but they are coverages that are out there. You can get insurance for if you have twins, which makes sense. Like twins are expensive. Um, You can also get change of heart insurance, which is specifically for the financial backers of a wedding if the bride and groom decide that they're going to call it off. So it's not necessarily to give them back the money because, like, come on, guys, like, that's your fault. It's for the completely innocent bystanders who just happen to be financing the wedding. Uh, One last one. There's an insurance policy that I came across that's for employers, specifically for if a group of their employees win the lottery and then they all quit. 
Those are awesome. Yeah. <laughs> these are great. These are great things. The the favorite one I've run into is it's called hole in one insurance. And it, uh, you know, a lot of charities, uh, you know, corporate events, they will do a golf tournament to raise money and they'll have a special prize, like a big money prize. If somebody gets a hole in one, now the charity can't afford to pay for that. And so insurance companies, they'll offer this hole in one insurance so that if somebody actually wins the prize, then the insurance policy pays out. It only costs the charity a fraction of what the payout would be, but it makes everybody happy. Yeah, that definitely makes me happy that that exists, because I think if I were at a tournament like that and I made the hole-in-one, which <laughs> I'm a terrible golfer, that would not happen. But if I did, I think I would feel bad taking the prize from the charity. But now, if that ever happens, then I won't feel as bad. You're taking it from the insurance company, so keep it. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> thanks for sharing that, Dan, and thanks for being here with me today. I appreciate it. As yeah, always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. This show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Dan Kaplinger, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!